Welcome back to the Ublockity podcast with me, Dom Birch. I'm delighted this week on the podcast to welcome John Best. Now, John is a mixed arable and beef farmer from Northern Ireland. With him and his two sons, they are now a fourth generation family who are... uh, actually doing some really innovative and interesting things, which is why I invited John onto the podcast this week. John, welcome to the Yablockwitty podcast. Thank you, Dom. So, John, maybe just start by telling us a little bit about the setup you've got there. We have a family farm at Points Pass, County Armagh, Northern Ireland. We have been on Acton House Farm since 1920. Currently, we are predominantly arable with a pedigree Aberdeen Angus herd. I have been farming here for the most 50 years now. At the outset, I came home from university with a degree in agriculture. We were predominantly suckler and beef farm, finishing calves from our own suckler cows, and also finishing store cattle, but predominantly in the south of Ireland. In those days, Beef involved really finishing animals at somewhere around about three year old, which is now perceived quite rightly as totally inefficient. In those days, it was a matter of, you know, the store period was important. You had to get as much weight as possible on the animal. In those days, a lot of cattle were shipped live for slaughter to the UK. And it was really only in the last sort of 30, 40 years that the Northern Ireland beef industry actually started to slaughter their own animals and export carcasses, largely driven by membership of the EU and MCAs and so on. That's where we were then, a totally different scenario from where we are now. Now, you're a mixed arable farmer, so in addition to the beef side of things, you also grow your own beans, which you've used for feed, and then you've got so much of that now you can sell that onward, and also you grow oats that are for human consumption and, and milled, what, five miles down the road from you. So, you know, what's the thinking behind that? So I suppose, in essence, what we're trying to do is keep our supply chain short, supply the local needs, supply the local market. Tell me a bit more about the beef side of things then. We have a pedigree Aberdeen Angus beef herd. Our market there is to supply bulls to local dairy herds who, once they've served their best cows with pedigree Holstein, they then use sweeper bulls. And Angus are a big part of that in Northern Ireland. One of the important things about the Angus cross is it must be easy calving and a small, reasonably small calf. And so talk to me a little bit about then on the Aberdeen Angus side. And, you know, just what's, what have you been sort of testing and trialling over the last sort of 12, six, six to 12 months? How you tag those animals and how you can track them? Because there's a whole load of new technology coming in from RFID tags to, you know, using different apps on farm. Just talk me through some of that, John, because that's, I mean, that's huge steps on, isn't it, from 10, 20, 20, 30 years ago. I suppose to put it in context, you've got to look at where the other livestock sectors in the UK have have moved in the last 20 or 30 years. You know, pigs now, you have nucleus herds, disease-free herds, total, totally closed herds. They have improved their performance, their food conversion. Milk production has improved. Output from dairy cows have has improved dramatically, food conversion again. But yet the beef sector, when I started out, I guess, it's probably much the same today. So there is vast scope for improvement in the efficiency of beef production, particularly now given all the talk and the publicity around carbon, methane emissions from livestock. The one way to reduce that is to improve the efficiency of your animal. 
if, if you can produce a kilo of beef from six kilos of feed as opposed to nine kilos of feed, that has a huge impact on the carbon emissions from that animal, hence from that herd. So that's really what we are now focusing on. As pedigree breeders, we want to be able to put figures around the performance of our animals. Our customers in dairy, they want a bull that has a viable calf at birth, but that calf must be born without causing any stress to the cow. So basically, they want easy calving. They also want animals then, when those animals go to finish, are easy fleshed and well fleshed with good fat cover, good eye muscle area, because that's where the premium cuts come from. So all those characteristics are reasonably highly heritable. So we must select for them. To understand how to select for them, we've got to understand what we have ourselves, first of all. And it's a classic thing, isn't it? You can't manage what you what you don't measure. So just talk to me a bit about some of that, because you're now gaining, aren't you, so many different data points through the life cycle of managing a herd. And then with that information, you're really turning that into insights so you can take the right actions, can't you? So you can actually start to, to manage things and, and make those improvements. It's about collating the data, and, and it does take time to build up. You can't just do it on, on, on one year's performance. You've got to measure your ease of calving. You've got to measure your growth rate. You've then got to identify the superior animals against the inferior animals for the whole of my lifetime. A lot of that assessment has been done visually. Agriculture shows showing animals in a ring and a judge awarding a rosette. But really, that visual assessment does not give any indication whatsoever of an animal's potential or their performance. We've now got to go down the route of genomics, understanding what genotypes influence what traits and how we can select for those in our herd. That's where the potential comes and also, to, you mentioned tags. To me, the, the big thing about tagging is to be able to identify each animal for the whole of its life. So if an animal loses a tag, there is still a DNA record of that tag. It's tagged the day it's born. That identity, that DNA stays with it until it lands with the consumer on their plate. And I think in Northern Ireland, we can't compete with Brazil or Argentina or, or, or even the Midwest for beef, that they're going to produce beef much cheaper than we are. But what we can do is produce a premium product, give it identity, give it provenance, give our consumer confidence that what they're buying is exactly what they're getting, where it has been, what its life cycle has been, that that animal has been looked after. We can raise our beef offering above the commodity market. We must have a USP for our product. The way to do that is to give our customer assurance. The way to give them assurance is to have lifetime identity, that there can be no doubt where that animal has been, what has happened to it during its life, and how it has been treated. And, and this isn't just theory now, is it? This is actually pilots that you've been putting into place and you've actually been tagging animals on farm. Just talk me through that because it sounds complicated, but it's got to be simple and easy to do, hasn't it? As well as being able to capture the data, it's got to be easy for the farmer on the farm to do that processing, to tag that animal, and then to be able to collect that data. As you say, over time, then you build up a much bigger picture. That animal really is uniquely identified at birth and cannot be tampered with, cannot be changed. It's not a complicated process. All animals have to be identified now at birth. Anyway, that's the law that happens worldwide. There are very few countries now do not have an animal ID system, some sort or another. And I suppose the key to it in our case is to make sure that ours is unique 
and that it is totally verifiable and never tampered with. At birth, you quite simply put the ear tag in the animal. As you're putting the ear tag in, there's a small cutter in the tag, which takes a, a tissue sample, totally painless. It's just a little small, small lick. That goes in an enclosed vial. That then goes for identification and verification of the DNA. So that verifies that the animal with that number that that tissue sample has come from them, that's their DNA identification going forward. And the tag can also be read electronically, so there's no need when the animal moves for anything other than electronic identification. So there can be no visual errors in identifying the number that's picked up electronically, and that electronic identification follows the animal through the slaughter process right through to the packing hall. And, and just that alone is just removing so much complexity, so many opportunities for somebody with a clipboard and a pen to write down the no- wrong number or to miss something. Every point of the yep. process, the more it's digitised and the more that it's done through you know, an automatic scan and then you can verify that at any point, is just going to build so much more trust, isn't it, into that supply chain? Yeah, trust and confidence. And, and it's about the consumer. You know, we have to be... We have to be aware that the consumer is king, and we have we have got to say this is why we are asking you to pay a premium for our product because we are demonstrating provenance right through the supply chain. One of the big developments going forward, which I'm very enthusiastic about, and which we're looking at ourselves, we've done a bit of work. There is potential with the ear tag to have a means of measuring the animal's temperature. So by monitoring temperature, you, you, can, you can confirm animal welfare. You can verify animal welfare through this animal's life cycle as well. So the one tag potentially can do two roles, identify the animal and also from a management point of view, identify any changes in temperature. And remember, changes in temperature can indicate an animal being sick. It can also indicate you know, challenges in the animal's diet. A small rise in temperature may show slight bit stress, which could be the cause of dietary problems, could be foot problems, lots of things. There's big potential there. And also the record of the lifetime's temperature also further reassures the customer of the welfare and provenance of that animal during its lifetime. So there's, I mean, there's just so much going on in just this one example. So you've got this simplified animal registration that, and the digital tagging can be done in under 60 seconds. You're then integrating and automating all of that reporting, going out to independent third-party labs that can validate the, the DNA. And then you've also yeah. got this kind of multi-factor authentication. Haven't you? So you've got the DNA, but you're also then able to sort of triangulate that with the RFID tag, geolocation using things like GPS on mobile phones, plus all of the, obviously, the official ID that you have to give from a government perspective. And all of those things going in together then are helping record the animal's location, its registration, and then potentially, I guess, going into declarations to government systems by using things like the blockchain so that you can actually then start to piece together every element of that animal's life when it gets into the supply chain it's been registered, you've got your provenance, and then you're also plugging then into government systems too. Yeah, uh, animal transfers become paperless, but also totally transparent and much easier to follow. And the broader scale gives opportunity for genetic improvement because in the south of Ireland, they're actually starting now to collate data from, from abattoirs on animals. That if, if you have each animal's DNA, you can then identify the sire, the dam, and you can quite quickly identify traits in different animals and different breeding. So actually, 
in the long term, that will help identify superior genetics and help both breeders and finishers of animals to identify animals that will grow quicker, convert more efficiently, again, impacting on carbon emissions. So what would your message be to farmers who might be listening to this or people in the industry who perhaps haven't quite got you know their heads into gear yet, that things like blockchain and this kind of technology, this smart tagging, is really going to move things forward. And it's going to move at some pace now, isn't it? It is, it is. You know, look at the improvement in the broiler and pig sectors in particular. These are two sectors which never had any subsidy. As long as I've been farming, pigs and poultry have had to stand on their own two feet. So they have actually driven their own innovation. In the beef sector, we have always been very heavily supported, subsidised. And I think that that has inhibited, in my mind, development and progress. Now we have an opportunity. You know, the tools are there now for us to start and catch up in improving our efficiency, making better use of our resources, driving down carbon. And ultimately, it all comes down to the farmer's own bottom line. So, you know, as well as being good for the animal, as well as getting buy-in from our customers, so, you know, it's, it's good for everybody. And one last thing I just wanted to talk about then, John, was actually in this carbon world that we're in and, and carbon credits, there is going to be opportunities now as farmers start to monitor every aspect of their, you know, the, their production, their businesses, that they're going to start in some instances actually generating carbon credits. And using things like blockchain, there's an opportunity then, isn't there, to trade in those credits and start to get real benefit for the improvements that you're making, the reductions that you're making in your production. But also, I guess if you've got solar panels or you've got some wind turbines and you're generating electricity, mm-hmm. you can start to monitor that and put that back into the grid and start to claim the credit for it. Oh, un- undoubtedly, Dom. I mean, that, that's the other one. In the longer term, we are going to get paid for carbon. And, and I mean, not even for farms that are generating electricity on farm. I think farms, a lot of a lot of our, our management practice can actually be geared towards sequestering carbon, building up our soil organic matter. We all have woodlands, we have hedges, how we manage them, how we maybe plant trees and corners, all that will help us to sequester carbon. The key to it will be, again, it's like the cattle verifying and authenticating exactly what we're doing. We've come across a number of cases where, you know, commercial businesses are say, oh yes, we're offsetting our carbon. I say, how do you do that? Oh, we're supporting tree planting in somewhere in Africa or I said, you know, where are the trees? Oh, we don't know. We've just bought into a scheme and this is what they're doing. They send a brochure, you know, totally unverifiable and definitely not authenticated. Probably the same scheme sold three or four times and benefiting no one. These same firms are now, they are seriously interested in actually seeing carbon sequestration, offsetting their carbon somewhere that they can see it, feel it, touch it, actually feel the benefit from it. And the place they can do that is in my mind, our farms. So our, our first step really has to be to actually measure again what we are doing and, and understand, you know, by building up soil organic matter, we are sequestering carbon. Once we've done that, the next step is then to go out and sell that. And unless we can verify it through blockchain to show that it does exist, it's only being sold once and actually be able to give our customers who are wishing to offset carbon something that is totally verifiable. And that, to me, that is another big potential for blockchain. It's all change, isn't it, John? It's all change. Yeah, it is. And, and it, it, it's all, all change the better. You know, nothing stays still. 
and I think it is up to agriculture to seize, you know, the benefits that are out there. Um, when I first started out, you you grew a crop, you produced an animal, you basically set it to market. You felt it was your entitlement that somebody had to buy it. It wasn't up to you to market it. It wasn't up to you to produce what the market wanted. You produced a ton of wheat if you felt like it. And you said, right, somebody has to buy this. And we had a deficiency payment scheme then and then, and that supported it. Now I think we it, it is for the better, really. You have to look at what your market is. We have a market for livestock. We have a market for grain. And I believe going forward, we have a market for carbon. But we must be able, it's not just about saying what we're doing. We must actually be able to verify it, measure it and authenticate it. John, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you here on the podcast. Look forward to coming to visit you on the farm so we can actually see some of this in action. Thank you for sparing me the time. It's all good fun. 